You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So I apologize for the uh, delay, just running a little bit behind today. Um, inshallah, I wanted to continue on with um, our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratun Nabawiyah. In the previous session, we were talking about something, um, you know, very difficult, uh, but nevertheless, something very uh, profound from the life of the Prophet sallallahu and that was the passing of his beloved wife Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. Today we're going to be talking about another tragedy that struck the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam shortly thereafter. So this 11th year of nubuwa, 11th year of prophethood, when the Prophet sallallahu was 51 years old, this is the year that is called Amul Huzn, the year of grief and sorrow. And this was a time in the life of the Prophet ﷺ that was very difficult for him. And it was a time of great tragedy and great sadness. And especially, one of our objectives here in Sira class has been to humanize the Prophet ﷺ so that we can connect and we can relate. And the life and the Sira, the message, the story of the Prophet ﷺ becomes something that is what it was meant to be. A source of inspiration, a source of motivation, and a source of guidance for us so that we can actually extract and derive practical life lessons for ourselves to be able to navigate through the world and through the life of this world, all the trials, all the tribulations and everything that comes along with Iman, that we're able to find our way through all of that in this world. So we talked about last week how the beloved wife, the wife of 25 years, the mother of his children, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha passed away. And how the Prophet ﷺ was so saddened by that incident, and how it was very extremely difficult for him. In the books of Sirah, I, I believe I mentioned this last time, that there is a discussion amongst the historians, the scholars of Sirah, whether Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha passed away first, or did the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Talib, did he die first? So there's this discussion, and there are opinion on both sides of this. I. In this particular session, I, the way I'm sharing it is by mentioning the passing of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha first, because in some of the classical books of Sirah that I found, many of the historians, Ibn Kathir rahmahullahu ta'ala is one of them, um, and, and others as well, have chosen to mention these incidents in this particular order. So therefore, we're sharing it in this order, but I still want uh, to make it very clear, just in case if you ever pick up a Sira book and decide to read a Sira book, you might find these in this order. And part of the reason for that is because the, the death of these two individuals was so close together. Many of the books of Sirah, actually the more classical, authentic, authoritative references of the Sirah actually mention that there were about 35 days between the passing of uh, Abu Talib and Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her. So there were about 35 days between the passing of the two. And you, um, across the board, most of the historians agree, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha passed away during the month of Ramadan. So she passed away during the month of Ramadan. And uh, Abu Talib either passed away in the month of Rajab, before Ramadan, or he passed away at the end of the month of Shawwal, after Ramadan. And Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha passed away in the, right in the beginning of the month of Ramadan. And then either Abu Talib passed away in Rajab, a month and a half or five weeks before, or he passed away at the, uh, sometime in Shawwal, which would be about five weeks afterwards. So today we're going to focus on that. So the second tragedy that the Prophet ﷺ was struck with, within the span of about 35 days, five weeks, is that the Prophet ﷺ suffered the loss of his uncle Abu Talib. As I mentioned previously, I'm going to reiterate, one of the great tragedies that we have today in the community as an ummah, is that because of the ease of information and the availability of information, when we talk about these profound incidents, we oftentimes discuss them as you know random facts listed on a page, like reading an encyclopedia, reading Wikipedia. 
And in the 11th year of prophethood, the wife of the Prophet Khadija died. Or in the 11th year of prophethood, the uncle of the Prophet Abu Talib, he passed away. But in reality, we have to understand what that meant for the Prophet So who is Abu Talib? Let's, let's try to refresh our memory. That's something we talked about extensively. We've talked about Abu Talib at length here in, in, this, in this series on the seerah, the life of the Prophet And I would even encourage um, those listening or attending the class to actually go back to the podcast um, at, on the Qalam website, qalaminstitute.org slash podcast. And you'll find sessions there about the childhood of the Prophet There's one specifically talking about Abu Talib, who Abu Talib was, when did the Prophet fully go into the care and the custody of Abu Talib and how Abu Talib raised the Prophet And and it it really reminds us of what Abu Talib meant to the Prophet The Prophet was eight years old. But he was not just some ordinary eight-year-old. This was an eight-year-old whose father passed away before he was born, whose mother passed away at the age of six. And he he had just witnessed the, the passing and survived the passing of his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib who was a father type figure to the Prophet ﷺ, even as a child. Because the father of the Prophet ﷺ had passed away shortly before his birth. And so Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather, was very attached to the Prophet ﷺ. Used to carry him around all the time. All the time. Wherever he went, they, he would just carry him around everywhere. So this eight-year-old boy had just lost the closest thing to a father figure that he had. And that was his very you know, respected and very revered and um, just remarkable man, Abdul Muttalib. And so this is an eight-year-old child who has lost everyone, has no father, no mother, and has lost his grandfather, and has no biological siblings. So you can imagine how fragile the emotional state and condition and circumstances of this eight-year-old child are. And then stepped in the uncle, an uncle who had been there the whole time and who was also very close. But Abdul Muttalib on his deathbed, when he gave his last request, made his bequest, his dying request to his son uh, Abu Talib, one of the primary things that he mentioned was this child Muhammad. This child Muhammad, I love him so much. And I'm worried about him. There's nobody else. I need you to take care of him. I need you to treat him like one of your own. I need you to give him everything that you can give him. Love him, take care of him, look after him, worry about him. And Abu Talib did precisely and exactly that. And through that experience, they bonded together. And Abu Talib grew increasingly attached to the Prophet ﷺ, like a child. And the Prophet ﷺ equally grew very attached to Abu Talib. He wouldn't do anything without asking Abu Talib. He would look to Abu Talib for direction for everything. And we've talked about, again, go back and listen to the earlier sessions on the seerah to remind yourself, there's little, little things. But you have to pick up on them. When the Prophet ﷺ was like 16 years old, and he wanted to start working and contributing, like financially help out the household, and he wanted to start working, he asked his uncle Abu Talib for permission. When the Prophet ﷺ got his first opportunity to do business, he asked Abu Talib for permission. Where he was a broker, he would just broker deals between buyers and sellers. Then when the Prophet ﷺ got his first chance to do business, like majorly do business, invest into a business, become a partner into a business, with his, who would eventually become his wife, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, but that required traveling, and the Prophet ﷺ was in his early 20s, early to mid-twenties, he again went to his uncle Abu Talib and asked him, is this okay, are you okay with this? When Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha's friend brought the proposal, marriage proposal to the Prophet what do you think about marrying Khadija, your business partner? Again, the Prophet went to his uncle Abu Talib and said, what do you think? And when you, when you pay attention close to that, Growing up under someone's supervision, stay, you know, living with someone, being raised by someone, being carried around by someone, fed by someone, clothed by someone. That when you go to that person to ask them permission to get your first job, and to start your first business, and you go to that person to sit down and talk about a potential marriage proposal, that's basically a parent, isn't it? That's a parent. That's how you interact with a parent. 
And so when you put those pieces together, what you realize that Abu Talib was not some random uncle. Abu Talib was the family of the Prophet ﷺ. He was his parent, not biologically, but he was the man who raised him. He was a man who cared for him. And when the Prophet ﷺ proclaimed his message of prophethood, it was Abu Talib who stood by the side of the Prophet ﷺ and said, even though I'm not accepting your faith, but I'll defend you. And he was the one who kept encouraging the Prophet ﷺ every single time the leaders of Quraysh came and said, that's it, we're putting an end to this, we can't deal with this no more. It was Abu Talib who told the Prophet ﷺ, no, you keep doing what you gotta do. You keep going strong. You gotta keep pushing forward. So the narration mentions that Abu Talib is in his, you know, some narrations mention that he was in his late 70s. He's, he's easily 80 years old at this time. And he's very, very ill, terminally ill. And the Quraysh sends, a, realizing that Abu Talib is on his deathbed, the Quraysh sends a delegation to Abu Talib. And they put together basically the who's who of Makkah. Everybody just kind of swallows their pride, gets together and goes to Abu Talib. We're talking about Abu Jahl, Abu Sufyan, Utbah, Shayba, and Umayyah bin Khalaf, all of the key leaders of Quraysh, who also happened to be the head of the opposition to the message of the Prophet ﷺ, they all prepare a delegation, and they go to the Prophet ﷺ, uh, excuse me, they go to Abu Talib. Now when they approach Abu Talib, they basically say, Ya Abu Talib, innaka minna haythu qad alimta. Oh Abu Talib, you know your position amongst us. Which is basically an expression saying, look, you know we respect all of you. We might be you know, leaders of Quraysh, but you are the leader of Quraysh. You know your position amongst us. وَقَدْ حَضَرَكَ مَا تَرَى وَتَخَوَفْنَا عَلَيْكَ And they said that, look, you also understand what your physical condition is. And we'll be very honest with you. We fear the worst for you. Meaning, you're going to die. That's become very obvious. It's got to be obvious to you and it's become obvious to us. You're not going to last a lot longer. You are terminally ill. And that's not exactly very good bedside manner, but they're also addressing this very plainly and clearly because they're also trying to say, we want to address the political situation in Mecca with no you know, confusion and no ambiguity. We want to be very clear about what's going on. وَقَدْ عَلِمْتَ الَّذِي بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَ إِبْنَ أَخِيكَ and you also know very clearly where we stand in regards to the message of your nephew. You know how things are between us. Fadu'uhu, so please call him. Fakhudlana minhu wa khudlahu minna. So for you negotiate something between the two of us. While you're still here, we respect you. You understand our position politically in Mecca. You love him very much and he loves you and respects you very much. So you're the neutral party here. You're the one that can talk to both sides. While you're still here amongst us, we need you to negotiate some terms. We haven't been willing to budge in the past. He hasn't been willing to budge in the past. We've come here to compromise and meet in the middle. So what do you say? So Abu Talib, and then they go on to say, anhu, So that we'll back off from him, he'll back off from us. He will leave us alone and our religion alone, and we'll leave him and his religion alone. So Abu Talib sent a message to the Prophet ﷺ, I need to speak with you. And the Prophet ﷺ of course came running. He loved Abu Talib. فَقَالَ يَبْنَ أَخِي He said, my beloved nephew, هَؤُلَاءِ أَشْرَافُ قَوْمِ قَدْ اجْتَمَعُوا لَكَ He said, these are the dignitaries of your people. And they've gathered because of you. They've gathered for you. لِيُعْتُوكَ وَلْيَأْخُذُوا مِنْكَ They've gathered so that they, they will give you something and in exchange you will give them something. Y'all are going to meet in the middle. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم, نعم. The Prophet ﷺ said, yes, absolutely. See, this is one thing we have to understand, that the Prophet ﷺ wasn't a difficult man. The Prophet ﷺ never negotiated the terms of Tawheed. Never budged, never negotiated. But see, 
Even when the Prophet ﷺ was talking about something that there was no compromise in regards to, there's no compromise in Tawheed. We all agree on that. There's no compromise in Tawheed. There's no compromise in Tawheed. But see, even then, how you even state that is also relevant. There's no compromise in Tawheed. But how do you say that? Do you stand up, throw things on the ground and say, no, there's no compromise in Tawheed. And walk out and slam the door behind you? That's one way to say there's no compromise in Tawheed. And one way to say it is, absolutely. You've come to speak, I've also come to speak. I want nothing more than to be, put our, be able to put our beef and our grudge aside. But you gotta understand, there are some things that I just cannot compromise on. You see the difference in the two scenarios? I know I'm painting two very extreme pictures, but it's to demonstrate the difference between them. And so when we talk about the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, Islam, and no compromise in Tawheed. Yes, but part of Islam and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is also how we go about in saying that. How do we go about in saying that? And so before I even read from this, let me just give you a relevant, you know, just example, so that when I, when I read this to you, it, it, it's something that you can relate to just, you know, our modern day experience. Something relevant to our circumstances. So when I was the uh, imam at Colleyville, the Colleyville Masjid, there, there's, a, there's a Presbyterian church, and there's a synagogue not far from there. In South Lake there's a synagogue, there in Colleyville there's a Presbyterian church. So we used to have almost on a monthly basis just you know, faith-based leaders within the community to talk about civic issues or, you know, there was even a couple of uh, incidents where the masjid was vandalized. So just to kind of get together and meet and talk about these types, we would have lunch every now, every now and then, just those faith-based leaders. And I remember one particular time, the rabbi made a proposition. His proposition was that one of the things that he had done with other faith-based leaders in the past was what he called a pulpit swap. Where he said, you will come on the Sabbath, on a Saturday, and you'll give a sermon or preach to my congregation. And, in, and on the reverse, I would come and preach or give a sermon to your congregation. Now, obviously, everybody sitting here is already saying, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, Right? So, we understand that that could be Potentially problematic. There we go. See, diplomacy. So we understand that that could be a little problematic. So again, I could have said, Haram. Absolutely not. Ya adu Allah. Right? So I could, I could get all like, you know, really crunk on the, on, the, on the rabbi. But there's a way to handle things. I explained to this gentleman, who was very nice and polite. When the masjid was vandalized, he called, he called me, he spoke to me. Uh, they sent us a letter from their congregation, apologizing, just like, we're very sorry that happened. Let us know if we can do something. Somebody had been very good. So I ended up explaining to him, I said, look, you have to understand a few things. We would absolutely love to work with you, especially community-related issues. We should work together, um, you know, whether it be cleaning up the streets or feeding the homeless. And there's so many different things that need to be done that would be amazing if we could work together on them. But you have to understand that there are certain elements of our faith that are very, very specific. Very important aspects of our faith that are very specific that you wouldn't agree on. I said, for instance, do you believe that Muhammad is a messenger of God? Do you believe that as a principle of faith? He said, no. So I said, well, we do. And that's a part of our, that's a part of the sermon. That's a part of our faith. We can, don't have a sermon without ashadu la ilaha wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. We don't have a sermon without that. So I said, there are certain things that just won't, uh, that just won't sink. And we need to be understanding about that. And there were no hard feelings. A month later, we were having lunch again. And so, this is exactly what we see from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ here. So the Prophet ﷺ, now that Abu Talib is telling him that they want to compromise, they want to meet in the middle with you. Rasulullah ﷺ says, Na'am. He says, absolutely. Let's talk. He said, Kalimatun wahidatun tu'tuniha. The Prophet ﷺ said, one word. I just, I'm making only one request. I don't have a list of things. I have one request. 
if you can give this to me, if you can meet me in the middle on one term, I only have one condition, one term. If you can meet me in the middle on this one condition, agree to one thing. He said, you will rule over all the Arabs, and even the non-Arabs will come to you and follow you. You will rule over all the Arabs, and even the non-Arabs will come and follow you. If you can agree to this one term. فَقَالَ أَبُو جَهَلْ So of course, Abu Jahl, the classic guy that he was, he was there. Abu Jahl says, Na'am wa abika. He says, absolutely. By your father. Like as an oath, as an expression. He says, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm ready. kalimatin. He goes, if you're talking about ruling over all the Arabs and even these non-Arab kingdoms and empires coming to our feet, I'll agree to ten things. I'll agree to ten things. Remember, we've talked about Abu Jahl. He was very power hungry. So he said, I'll agree to ten things. The Prophet of Allah said, تَقُولُونَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ You just accept the fact that there is no one worthy of worship except for Allah. That's it. وَتَخْلَعُونَ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِهِ And you leave everything else that you worship other than Allah, you push it aside. You cast it aside. That's it. Tawheed is my one condition. And I'm, I'm sitting here ready to talk. I'm sitting here willing to work with you on everything else. Just this one condition. The narration says, فَصَفَّقُوا بِأَيْدِيهِمْ They clapped their hands. Now that almost sounds, for us culturally, that sounds like approval. They're all like, right? That's not what it means in this context though. Meaning they just, they clapped their hands together, which was a sign of displeasure. Our equivalent would be like a face palm. They all put their face in their palms. They all just expressed their, just, they all kind of like all huffed and puffed. They all threw their hands up. Because they were like, here he goes again. فَقَالُوا يَا مُحَمَّدٍ أَتُرِيدَ أَن تَجْعَلَ الْآلِهَةَ إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا Muhammad, you want to turn all of our idols and gods, and you want us to exchange all of that for one God? Inna amraka la ajabun. You're just, we don't understand you. We don't get you. We don't understand what your problem is. And then something interesting happened. These, this whole delegation, some of them started saying to others, Inna hu wallahi ma hatha rajul bimu'atikum shay'an mimma turidun. So now some of them start to kind of talk to others and they said, look, this guy's not really here to compromise. He's not going to agree to what you all want. So just go and you keep doing what you're doing. Let him do what he does and, you know, we'll figure out. We'll see who comes out on top at the, at the end of things. And they all started to disperse from there. They all got up and started to walk away. And they all leave. Now the Prophet of Allah وسلم, is sitting there and his elderly uncle who is terminally ill is lying there. And Abu Talib looks over to the Prophet وسلم, and he says, Wallahi, Yabna Akhi. He goes, I swear to God, beloved nephew. Ma shatata. He said, I don't think you asked him for a lot. I really don't think you were asking for a lot. You're willing to discuss anything and everything. You just asked for one condition. You didn't ask them for a lot. فَطَمِعَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ فِيهِ فَجَعَلَ يَقُولْ لَهُ أَيْ عَمِّي The Prophet ﷺ, when he heard Abu Talib say that, he said, now's the opportunity. So he said, beloved uncle, فَأَنْتَ فَقُلْهَا أَسْتَحِلَّ لَكَ بِهَا الشَّفَاعَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ so he says, uncle, if you don't think I was asking them for a lot, then you should say it. La ilaha illallah. Come on. You didn't think it was asking them for a lot to say it. I got your back. I'll, I'll vouch for you on the day of judgment. I'll be your witness on the day of judgment. I'll say, yep, he said it. Just say it once. I got you. Nobody else is here. Just me and you. Just say it once. Abu Talib says to the Prophet ﷺ, يَبْنَ أَخِي 
He says, Beloved nephew, Wallahi lawla makhafatush shubbati alayk wa ala bani abik min ba'di. He says, If I wasn't afraid that these people, what they would do to you and your family members after I was gone, wa anta dhunna Quraysh. And I wasn't, I didn't think that the Quraysh would assume that I just did it to try to escape death. That he was so desperate when he was dying, he was looking for anything and everything to be able to escape death. I would have definitely said it. He said that I will not say it. The only reason why I would be saying it is to just simply please you. But I won't say it. So, the narration goes on that the Prophet of Allah said, you know, he tried, he tried honestly. A few days later, not very long soon thereafter, the Prophet receives word that Abu Talib is extremely ill. He's very, very ill and he's basically breathing his last. The Prophet of Allah comes running to be by the side of Abu Talib as he's breathing his last. But the problem is on the other side, guys like Abu Jahal and Umayyah bin Khalaf, and these guys had also found out that Abu Talib is very ill and this looks like, this looks like it's it. You know when somebody is very terminally ill and you're just a phone call away, they'll give you a call, come say your goodbyes, it looks like it is, this is it. So Abu Talib was just about Breathing his last. The Prophet ﷺ was rushing there. Abu Jahl, Umayyah bin Khalaf and some of these leaders got the word also and were able to get there before the Prophet ﷺ arrived there. The Prophet ﷺ walked in. The narration describes that he walked in and went and sat down by the bed of Abu Talib. Sat down by his head. Held his hand in his hands. Tears in his eyes. Again, see, when we, when we just say, oh, he's his uncle, we don't understand. This is a man who raised him. From the age of eight as a child. This is his family. This is, he's his parent. He's his whole family. He raised him into the man that he is. And even after he was a grown man with children of his own, in a life mission and purpose of his own, this was the man that stood by his side and fended everyone off. And kept encouraging him. Never left his, never left his side. Always had his back. And so the Prophet ﷺ comes and sits down and holds Abu Talib's hand in his hands. Tear, eyes full of tears, welling up in his eyes. Abu Talib is struggling to breathe, barely able to breathe. And the Prophet of Allah ﷺ leans in close. He's an old man, 80 years old. He's dying, he's in the pangs of death. He can't hear too well. Struggling to even to breathe, catching his breath. And the Prophet ﷺ leans in. And he says, Ay Ammi, dear uncle, Qul la ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. Please, just say it once. La ilaha illallah. Kalimatun, uhaju laka biha indallah. Just one word, one phrase, that's it. I will fight on your behalf in front of Allah. I will argue on your behalf in front of Allah. I will represent you in front of Allah. Please, just once. Abu Jahl seeing this, and also worried. And in fact, one of the narration says, that when Abu Jahl was heading out, he's he gets Umayyah bin Khalaf and gets a couple of more people with him. And he says to the Quraysh, that look, Hamza and Umar, Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib, and Umar ibn Khattab, two very popular, influential figures in Mecca, have already accepted Islam. More and more people day by day are accepting Islam. Abu Talib is, would be a loss that we can't afford, that we can't suffer. We can't have him going over to Muhammad's side, his nephew's side, at this very emotional time. We gotta make sure we don't lose him. So he sees the Prophet wasallam sitting by his bedside, tears streaming down his face, holding his hand, saying, Uncle, please, please, Uncle, just once say it. I'll fight. I mean, imagine how emotional he must have been to say, I will fight in front of Allah for you. Just please say it once. 
And Abu Jahl recognizing the situation and what could, ha- what could happen here, Abu Jahl starts screaming and speaking very loudly. And the narration says, yeah, he's saying, Ya Aba Talib, Ya Aba Talib, Targhabu an millati Abdul Muttalib, Targhabu an millati Abdul Muttalib. He goes, Ya Aba Talib, O Abu Talib, Targhabu an millati Abdul Muttalib. Are you trying to leave the religion of your dad, your father, your father's religion? You're going to leave it now? And, and the narration says, فَلَمْ يَزَالَا يُكَلِّمَانِهِ فَلَمْ يَزَالَا يُكَلِّمَانِهِ They kept saying it. Abu Jahl, Abdullah bin Abi Umayya, Umayya bin Khalaf, all of these guys, these troublemakers who had gathered there, they kept, they all started ch- chiming in, they all started saying it. It's almost like they were heckling the Prophet wasallam. They all started screaming this over and over again. فَلَمْ يَزَالَ يُكَلِّمَانِهِ They kept saying it over and over again. يَا أَبَا طَالِبِ أَتَرْغَبُ عَمِّلَّةِ عَبْدِ الْمُطَّلِبِ Are you going to leave your father's religion now? Abu Talib, are you going to leave it now? And they kept screaming over and over again. To the point where Abu Talib couldn't even hear what the Prophet ﷺ was saying. When Narishan even looks over at the Prophet ﷺ and says, I can't understand what's going on. I don't understand. I mean, this is an old man, terminally ill in the pangs of death. And they basically accomplished their mission of just, you know, creating chaos. And finally, Abu Talib looks over at the Prophet And he says, in what some of the narrations mention, that Abu Talib looks over at the Prophet and the Prophet says that the last thing I heard Abu Talib say was, Ala Dini Abdul Muttalib, Ala Millati Abdul Muttalib, upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. And then finally Abu Talib breathed his last and he passed away. When the, while the Prophet was still sitting there, tears still fresh on his face, holding his uncle's hand, lifeless hand, in his hands. And Abu Talib looks over at him and he says, upon the religion of my forefathers. And he breathes his last and he passed away. The narration describes that the Prophet of Allah says at that time to the Prophet, uh, the Prophet says sitting there still holding the lifeless hand, he says, as far as I'm concerned, uncle, I will continue to ask forgiveness on your behalf until I'm forbidden from doing so. I will keep asking for your forgiveness until I am told to stop doing so. And the narration describes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the eye of the Quran to the Prophet. It is not appropriate, it is not allowed, it is not permissible for the Prophet. وَالَّذِينَ amanu And those who believe in the Prophet, in the message of the Prophet. أَنْ يَسْتَغْفِرُوا لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ That they seek forgiveness on behalf of those who have died upon shirk, who have died without faith in iman. وَلَوْ كَانُوا أُولِي قُرْبَى Even if they be close relatives. Even if they be close relatives. And narration further describes that some of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum who knew what was going on. That Abu Talib is dying and they knew what Abu Talib meant to the Prophet That they were waiting outside. And you have to understand, the Prophet just lost the man who raised him. He lost his family. Really recently he had just lost his wife and now he loses the man who raised him. And then on top of that, based off of the narration that we're reading, Abu Talib not accepting Islam. Then the Prophet ﷺ, when he comes out from there, from the home, the narration, the Sahaba, they described that the face of the Prophet ﷺ, you could see how devastated he was from his face. How sad he was at the loss of Abu Talib. And the narration describes that the Prophet ﷺ was questioning, second-guessing himself, that could I have said something else? Is there anything else I could have said, I could have done? to convince him otherwise, because of the pain that he felt. 
And that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah of the Qur'an upon the Prophet sallallahu Most definitely you, can, you do not give guidance to the ones whom you have loved. Rather, it is Allah who guides whomsoever He wills. We always know this, we know this ayah is associated with the passing of Abu Talib. We think oftentimes it's an ayah reprimanding the Prophet ﷺ. You can't give out guidance just because you love somebody. Allah gives guidance to whom He wills. No, no, no. This ayah was Allah consoling the Prophet ﷺ. This ayah was Allah comforting the Prophet ﷺ. That we know you're hurting right now. But don't second guess yourself, don't beat yourself up about it because guidance wasn't in your hands to give out. You can't give guidance to someone just because you love them. Allah gives guidance to whom He wills. This is the decision and the decree of Allah, it's not in your hands. Don't beat yourself up about it, we know you're hurting. But this is not the answer to this. And so the Prophet ﷺ, you know what tells you about how much pain the Prophet ﷺ felt at the passing of Abu Talib? There's a story that tells us very clearly about how much pain the Prophet ﷺ experienced and how visible and obvious his pain was to those people who were around him. There's an incident in a story 10 years after this. A decade, 10 years, a decade after Abu Talib passed away. The Prophet ﷺ returns back to Mecca. We're gonna be talking about this further down in the seerah, but this relates to this right now. A decade after Abu Talib passed away, 10 years later, the memory of the Prophet Wasallam's pain at the passing of Abu Talib was so fresh in the minds of the Sahaba, that a decade after Abu Talib passed away, the Prophet Wasallam comes back to Mecca at the time of the conquest of Mecca, Fatshu Mecca. And it's, it's nearly 10 years after that. Because Fatshu Mecca was in the month of Ramadan. So imagine it is 10 years after the passing of Abu Talib. The Prophet ﷺ was sitting in the masjid, the haram, sitting near the Kaaba. Abu Bakr anhu walks into the Kaaba, walks into the haram. He walks into the masjid, the haram. And in his hand, in Abu Bakr anhu's hand, is the hand of his elderly father, Abu Quhafa. Abu Quhafa, who was the father of Abu Bakr, is a very elderly man. The narration describes that he was so old at this time that all of his hair was white, even his eyebrows and his eyelashes were white. That's how old this man was. And he was blind. He's blind and he's old. You can imagine how old he is. Abu Bakr anhu is holding his father's hand in his hand and he's walking him in. Elderly blind man walking very slowly. And he walks in. When the Prophet ﷺ sees, this is his good friend Abu Bakr, and it's his father. The Prophet ﷺ stands up, approaches them, and says, Why didn't you leave our elder at home? I would have gone to him. If he needed to come and talk to me, you should have requested the shaykh, our elder, to stay at home, I would go and visit him. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, says, oh no, Messenger of Allah, he's come to accept Islam, he needed to come to you. He, he must come to you. They sit down, the Prophet ﷺ requests him to have a seat, very respectfully, they sit down. He asks him, you're ready to accept Islam? Abu Quhafa says, yes. The Prophet of Allah takes Abu Quhafa's hand in his hands, starts giving him the shahada, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. And he's giving him the shahada. He looks over at Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, smile on the face of the Prophet. What a glorious, beautiful moment. An elderly father, an elderly man, this age, his father is accepting Islam. How beautiful of a thing. So he looks over, big old smile on the face of the Prophet he looks at Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu is sitting there crying. Seriously crying, he's like breaking down and crying. And the Prophet of Allah looks at Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and he says, tears of joy, Ya Abu Bakr, tears of joy. 
You're so happy, so overwhelmed, witnessing the Islam of your father that it breaks you down like this. And subhanAllah, you know, if anyone can just surprise us, it's Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. With his devotion, his dedication, his loyalty, his love. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu responds to the Prophet and he says, No, Messenger of Allah, these are tears of sadness. I cry out of sadness. And the Prophet is shocked. He says, Your father accepts Islam at this age, and you cry out of sadness? He says, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I can't help. I can't help but think how quickly I would trade places between my father and Abu Talib. I would give up my father's place right now, sitting in the haram, his hand in your hands, reciting the kalima of shahada. I would give up my father's place right now, in a second, in an instance, if it could be your uncle Abu Talib instead. With his hand in your hands, accepting Islam. Because I remember how, 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 in how much pain you were. I remember how much pain and agony you experienced at the passing of your uncle. I'd give up anything to have them switch places. I mean, just think for a second. Of course, it's a profound story about the love of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu for the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But think for a minute that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, how severe must the pain of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam been for Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu to feel so strongly about the passing of Abu Talib and be willing to make such a sacrifice for Abu Talib. Imagine how profound and obvious the pain of the Prophet ﷺ was at the passing of Abu Talib. The Prophet ﷺ experienced this tragedy. Tragedy upon tragedy. Within a month, in about a month, within five to six weeks, the Prophet ﷺ had buried the two people. The two people that his entire life revolved around. The two people that were the most important to him in this world. The two people that he loved the most. The two people that he had leaned on throughout his entire life. Every second, every minute. The man who raised him and the woman that he shared a life with. He buried both of these people. Imagine the pain of the Prophet ﷺ. How difficult that moment must have been for him. And you know, the death of Abu Talib was compounded. The death of Abu Talib was compounded by the aftermath. The aftermath. What was the aftermath? There are narrations from the Prophet ﷺ which talk about this. The Prophet ﷺ mentions, there are a hadith that mention this fact. That shortly after the passing of Abu Talib, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was walking, actually I should mention this. You know when we talk about the, 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 how difficult that must have been, how much pain the Prophet ﷺ must have experienced at the passing of Khadija and Abu Talib together, there are actual narrations in the books of Sirah that tell us in the days immediately after the passing of Abu Talib, both of them, Khadija and Abu Talib, the days immediately after that, the Prophet of Allah didn't leave his home as much. People saw him a little bit less. He was a little bit more quiet. He, he didn't come out for a couple of days. And when they saw him again, he was coming out very sparingly. He would only come out once a day or once every couple of days, go and take care of things that need to be taken care of, and he would go back home. He was sad, he was, he was struggling. He had kids at home who had lost their mother. And the narration says something very interesting. Again, imagine how profound the pain and the suffering of the Prophet ﷺ must have been. That Abu Lahab, Abu Lahab, remember Abu Lahab? A villain. He's, he's somebody who was very opposed to the Prophet ﷺ, the most outspoken against the Prophet ﷺ. Abu Lahab saw the Prophet ﷺ and he heard about how much his nephew was struggling. That Abu Lahab actually goes to the home of the Prophet ﷺ and he goes, what's wrong? What's going on with you? You seem like you're really struggling here. 
The Prophet ﷺ told him, you know, it's just, it's a loss. I mean, I'm trying to regroup, trying to pick up the pieces. I got kids who've lost their mother, trying to put things back together. And Abu Lahab was so overwhelmed by what he saw that he tells the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Talib used to protect you, keep people away from you, I'll take care of things. I mean, imagine how painful, how obvious the pain of the Prophet must have been, how sad that situation must have been. For Abu Lahab, somebody who categorically disagreed with the Prophet constantly opposed him, said, I'll take care of things. And he goes to the other leaders of Quraysh and he goes, everybody stay away from my nephew. Everybody stay away from him. Everybody back off. And the leaders of Quraysh were taken aback. They basically started whispering and talking amongst themselves. Did Abu Lahab now accept Islam? Did Abu Lahab accept Islam? Because that's gonna be really bad for us. And so finally, the narration mentions that some of the sons and some of the other leaders of Quraysh, some of the sons of Abu Lahab and some of the other leaders of Quraysh actually go to Abu Lahab and they say, hey, you understand what's going on? You're putting your support behind Muhammad We've heard that other tribes have heard about this now, that basically Quraysh has endorsed Muhammad's religion, and other tribes are getting ready to come here and start endorsing and accepting Muhammad's religion. They started playing politics, started sensationalizing propaganda. And Abu Lahab, after a couple of days had passed, since he had seen the Prophet ﷺ in so much pain, he basically realized and he said, no, I withdraw my support, my protection from Muhammad. Y'all can do whatever y'all need to do. We need to stop this. We can't have the spread of this religion. And so this was the immediate aftermath of the passing of Abu Talib in Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha upon the Prophet And so when this ended up happening, the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it mentions in a narration that he leaves his home, he, go outside, he goes outside of his home, he's trying to get back into the routine, back into the, thing, uh, the swing of things. And the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, when he leaves his home, something very interesting happens that had never happened in the first 11 years of the Prophet ﷺ preaching and teaching the message of Islam. And that was that as soon as the Prophet ﷺ leaves his home, a young man walks up to the Prophet ﷺ, just a young thug from the streets. Somebody who normally wouldn't even look twice towards the Prophet ﷺ because that young thug would know his place. That this is Muhammad Rasulullah ﷺ, that this is Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib. He is the nephew of Abu Talib and he has the protection of Abu Talib. I need to watch myself and be careful about how I interact with him. Because at the end of the day, this is a man who has respect and this is a man who has protection. A young thug, a young man like this from the streets of Mecca walks up to the Prophet ﷺ. He reaches down and he picks up, he reaches down and he scoops up with his hand a handful of dirt. This young man. Reaches that reaches down. أَخَذَ تُرَابْ وَحَثَّ عَلَى رَأْسِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ التُرَابْ He picks up, scoops up a handful of dirt and he, and he throws it on the head of the Prophet He takes a bunch of dirt and he goes like this and throws it on the head of the Prophet He says, what? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Your uncle ain't here to protect you no more. I mean, think about what level of disrespect that is. The Prophet is a 51-year-old man. But the rhetoric and the propaganda in Mecca had become so poisonous that a young thugs, uh, uh, the young thugs, a young teenager, like a boy, is treating his elder in this fashion, in this way. The narration mentions the Prophet ﷺ goes out of his home and somebody walks up to him and just shoves him. Somebody grabs him by his shirt and says, what now? Huh? Who's going to protect you now? People are shoving him and pushing him. People are throwing rocks at him. Young thugs are walking up, grabbing dirt and throwing it on his face. The Prophet ﷺ gets back home. And he's trying to walk into his house. And he gets to his doorstep and his entire doorstep 
is covered with garbage and trash and even filth, human and animal filth. And the Prophet ﷺ stands there and looks at this. And the Prophet ﷺ rolls up his sleeves. And he reaches down and has to move all of this with his, with his blessed hands. He has to move all this filth aside and th- throw it to the side of his doorstep so he can walk in, he can walk through. And he notices as he's moving it aside, some people kind of step out from their homes and kind of looking around the corner, trying to watch the show. And the Prophet ﷺ notices that they're watching and they're enjoying and they're smirking and laughing and high-fiving and behaving so immature. The Prophet ﷺ looks around and he goes, Ayyu jiwarin hadha ya Quraysh. He goes, what type of neighborly treatment is this Quraysh? You don't believe in my message, you don't like me, you don't agree with me, all of that's fine. You're Quraysh. Do you remember that? You were the sons and the daughters of Hashim, of Adnan, of Abdul Muttalib. You are the caretakers of the Haram. You are the leaders of the Arabs. What kind of neighborly treatment is this? And the Prophet ﷺ walks into his home. And narration describes when he walks into his home, his hands are covered with filth and garbage. His shirt is torn a little. He's got dirt in his hair and on his face. And his daughter Fatima, radiallahu ta'ala anha, may Allah be pleased with her. She was a small girl at that time. I mean, imagine this little girl. She just lost her mother. She lost what was like a grandfather to her, Abu Talib. The only, like, you know, the only person she has to take care of her in this world is her father. And her father walks through the door and he's covered in trash and dirt and, you know, dust. And she looks at him. And she gasps. The narration says she, she, she puts her face to her hand, uh, puts her hand to her face and she says, Father, what happened to you? What is this? Dad, what, what's this? And the Prophet ﷺ sits down. And Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha goes and she grabs a bowl and puts some water in it. And she grabs like a little rag, a cloth, a little towel. And she comes and she dips it in there. And she starts wiping his face. She puts his hands in the water and she starts washing his hands. And while she's doing this, she starts to cry. She says, Dad, why is this happening to us? What, what, what's going on? Why is this happening to you? Why, is this, why are they doing this? And the Prophet ﷺ looks at her and he goes, Ya Bunayati. He says, my dear beloved little girl, my, 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 my beloved little daughter, he says, لا تبكي. He says, don't cry. Don't cry. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not forsake your father. This religion of your, uh, that your father has come to preach will read far and wide. Allah will protect your father. Don't cry. Don't cry. And so this was the suffering of the Prophet wasallam. And this is what he was experiencing and he was going through. He had lost his beloved wife Khadija. His children had lost their mother. Then he loses his uncle, his, his family, the man who raised him, Abu Talib. And he's hurting so much. And the, the, the terrible people who were opposing the Prophet ﷺ decided to not ease up, but decided to take advantage of the plight of the Prophet ﷺ. And they kept abusing him, and in fact intensified their abuse of the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ is hurting so bad, his daughter is crying, wiping his face, saying, why is this happening? But the Prophet ﷺ doesn't lose hope, and he tells his daughter, he says, don't cry. Allah will take care of your father, Allah will protect us, Allah will spread this deen, you have nothing to worry about. This was the circumstances of the Prophet ﷺ. This is the gear of grief and sorrow. And these, this was the tragedy and the suffering of the Prophet ﷺ. In the next few sessions, we'll talk about how the difficulty, the adversity of the Prophet ﷺ continued to grow and intensify over the next few months. 
and how that led the Prophet to to taking some very drastic steps, making some very difficult and very serious decisions. We'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. It's just about time for Salat al-Isha, but in the last couple of minutes here, I wanted to just talk about one thing. Normally, and I want to state this very clearly, with a disclaimer. Normally my policy on this issue is that it should not be talked about in a lot of detail. Jazakumullah khairan. Barakallahu feekum. Jazakumullah khairan. So normally my, my, my policy in this regard, something that was I was taught to by my teachers. I should rather say I have no policy, I have nobody to have a policy. My teacher's policy. And the policy of our scholars in this regard is normally to not comment a lot about this and not talk about this. Number one, because it's not one of the key aspects of our faith or iman. It's not something that we'll be asked about in the grave nor, in the, nor on the day of judgment. It's not something that is our responsibility. And secondly, it's something that is a very sensitive issue. And it's, thirdly, it's an issue that there's a difference of opinion upon by the scholars. So therefore, it's something that's better left alone in common conversation. But part of the objective of this series and this, this extensive discussion on the life and the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ is to touch on some very particulars and details. So that's why I want to go ahead and just kind of present this issue here at the end. But I want everyone to keep the disclaimer in mind that this is not a topic of conversation amongst us. That like the issue where we talked about the parents of the Prophet ﷺ, the big question about whether they accepted Islam or they didn't, we consider them Muslim or the, we don't, we don't worry about that. That's not our responsibility, it's not our issue, we don't talk about it. Similarly, there is also a discussion about Abu Talib. There's a narration that some of the scholars of hadith, because they are scholars of hadith, that's their job, that's their role. They have expressed that they, they have serious doubts about the authenticity of the narration. But there is a narration in some books of Sirah where Abbas, one of the other uncles of the Prophet ﷺ, a brother of Abu Talib, one of the other uncles of the Prophet ﷺ, Abbas says to the Prophet ﷺ, I saw the lips of Abu Talib moving. I saw that he was moving his lips. And I think he said, La ilaha illallah. The narration says that the Prophet ﷺ responds to Abbas, his uncle, by saying, Lam asma. Lam asma'ahu. Ma sami'atuhu. I did not hear him. He clarifies, I didn't hear it. Based off of that, some scholars, um, and I should say that the scholars who are of the caliber and scholarly academically who discuss these issues, who have discussed these issues, the majority of them say that Abu Talib, from what we can tell, Abu Talib did not accept Islam. And there are other narrations which I'm not going to get into explicitly, um, but there are other narrations where the Prophet ﷺ even ex explicitly mentions about Abu Talib not accepting Islam before he passed away. And his fate in the life of the hereafter. What will happen with him in the hereafter? So the majority of the scholars feel that Abu Talib, if we do sit down to discuss the issue, did not accept Islam. There's a minority of scholars that say he possibly did accept Islam. But again, I reiterate that the majority of the scholars, the majority of the books of Sirah, the more authentic resources on the Sirah say Abu Talib did not accept Islam. However, I'm going to end with the same disclaimer I began with. That as far as we're concerned, we don't have to talk about it. Wallahu ta'ala alamu bisawab. Allah knows best. It's not our job. It's not our role. We won't be asked about it. And I want to really point out something. When we talk about the parents of the Prophet when we talk about Abu Talib, I, I, I hope I was able to communicate at some level how much Abu Talib meant to the Prophet That you have to take something into consideration. The Prophet loved these people. These are his parents, his uncle, the man who raised him. How would we, let's just say somebody's parents didn't accept Islam. They converted, they reverted, they took shahada, they accepted Islam. And their parents did not accept Islam. And they passed away, clearly not having accepted Islam. Would, if you were in that position, would you want somebody sitting there analyzing and discussing and talking about whether your parents were Muslim or not, whether they're in the fire of hell, or they go to Jannah or not, can they be free? Would you appreciate someone even talking about it? Even on the deathbed, your parents said to you, your mom or your dad said to you, I do not believe in Allah, I do not accept Islam, and then passed away. 
You know for a fact they didn't accept Islam. Would you want somebody coming and discussing or people talking amongst themselves saying, oh yeah, his dad or his mom didn't accept Islam, therefore they're doomed to the fire of hell. Would you want somebody to talk about your family that way? Never. Therefore being sensitive to the Prophet ﷺ, we don't talk about these issues. We leave it be. We, we, we realize the pain of the Prophet ﷺ. We learn a lesson from it. And we go on. And we try to remember and praise and learn and send salawat on the Prophet ﷺ for how much he sacrificed for our sake. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.